You're listening to a podcast by the BCG Henderson Institute, BCG's Think Tank. In this series, hosted by fellow Dave Young, we'll interview business leaders and explore how companies can build competitive advantage by creating a sustainable world. Now on to our episode. Welcome to Building Competitive Advantage in a Sustainable World. Today, I'm excited to welcome Gary Nell. Gary is the former chairman of National Geographic Partners, former president and CEO of the National Geographic Society, president and CEO of National Public Radio, and the former CEO of Sesame Workshop. And I've asked Gary to join us to discuss the role of media that is anchored in purpose and how it helps shape the societal context and narrative for sustainability. And for companies, how should they think about proactively shaping their narratives to communicate very clearly their purpose and the role sustainability plays in fulfilling it? In the midst of this immense change that we're seeing in society and business, the push to become rapidly more sustainable, it becomes even more critical for companies to use their purpose to navigate the change and to translate the actions in a way that cuts through the noise and creates a clear and compelling message and narrative for their stakeholders. Gary is also a BCG senior advisor. Gary, welcome. To start, please introduce yourself for our listeners and your connection to purpose, sustainability, and societal change. Great to have you. I'm Gary Nell. I am the former chairman of National Geographic Partners. I've spent my career really at the crossroads of storytelling and social change, having grown up in North Hollywood, California, and really learning the world through the movies, for good or for bad. But those narratives had a big influence on my life as a child. I went on to study journalism, politics, worked in state capitals and the nation's capital in Washington, D.C., in the U.S. Senate, and then a career in media, really, which spent many years in public broadcasting, both in children's programming and so-called grown-up programming, and then moved on to national public radio and National Geographic. So it's an arc of purpose-driven media organizations that, you know, are, are really at those, as I mentioned, the crossroads of social purpose and communications, Dave. You were the CEO of these three amazing and trusted names and companies, uh, you know, in many ways, iconic institutions, I would argue everybody, you know, can relate to Sesame Street, a national public radio, a national geographic. These are parts of our of our social psyche in many ways and each of them is grounded in this strong sense of purpose how did you bring purpose and narrative alive inside the organizations as the leader and then outside the organizations as the basis to enable more impact and influence well i'm a big believer in this blue ocean theory don't swim in infested waters that are filled with predators who are going to gobble you up and or har harm you, but try to find that blue ocean where you are unique. And I think what I found in each of those organizations was there's a constant journey trying to find that true north, which evolves. 
And what was true, for instance, for Sesame Street in 1969, when the show launched and 2021, you know, 52 years later, it's a, a markedly different world. So to just say that, well, we're going to produce a daily preschool show that's going to for one hour that's going to appear on television, that really doesn't cut it anymore. You've got to be aware of the current circumstances. But the concept of creating something with these with the creative force of Sesame Street in a modern context still has relevance if you can put it into a form that is going to resonate with people today. So from the inside, it was a constant, I would almost use the word struggle to focus people on our true north and what is our unique value today. Going back to the origins and always remembering where we came from, National Geographic in 1888, NPR, the 1970s, Sesame Street out of the civil rights movement in the 1960s, but figuring out a way in which we could put that in a modernized context with a very different framework of competition and fight for people's time. And then I think on the outside, Dave, the quick answer to that is, trying to promote a cause worth supporting. Is this something that is a philanthropy you would spend your hard earned dollars supporting because it so resonates with you that you want to make this a part of your own legacy as a donor and make you feel good? And that's a tough question to answer if you're not really focused and clear. It seems that business leaders, you know, have many issues to think about well beyond traditional economic scope of business, you know, climate change, digital bias and privacy, social polarization, species depletion, inequality, justice, algorithmic bias. Leaders and boards have always had big agendas to consider, but this seems at a different level. I mean, from your perspective, is there a fundamental shift happening? for leaders and boards in this period? I think there is a fundamental shift happening, Dave. The most important ones really, I think since George Floyd, especially the racial reckoning that not only spread domestically, but actually globally has really turbocharged an advancement of diversity in enterprises that I've really never seen. There's been talk forever. The movement was so minute and so slow for so long, promoting the place for women and people of color that it really unfortunately took this terrible event to push that forward. And it's happening, it is really happening. And I absolutely would agree with your premise. There's been a real sea change in environmental consciousness, I think people experiencing these extreme weather events, of which there are now many, and just seeing that and living through those, people know that there's a big problem. And I don't even hear about climate deniers anymore. It's more about what are the answers for mitigation. So I think for enterprises, companies, and NGOs, there is a real sea change. And I think it's being driven to a large part about the consumer base that is younger and 
a hidden force in this whole thing is staff. There has been a huge change as younger people have come into the workforce with a different set of expectations from baby boomers. And they're demanding authenticity on all fronts, whether it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, women's empowerment, environmental and social and governance reforms. You can't bullshit your way through this stuff. And I think that's a huge sea change, Dave, that is now propelled into the consciousness of many CEOs. This consciousness you talk of, uh, Gary, is, is uh, absolutely fascinating. Could you say, it, it just seems to me when you talk about a period like this, there is almost a special responsibility for certain types of media to help society get a hold of what's going on and to set the context under which leaders and boards through their own life experiences, through their own awareness, you know, sort of think about the business differently. How do you think about the role of media in the current moment in advancing sustainability? Our digital transformation, Dave, has massively remade the rule book over the last 30 years, 25 years. It's not a very long period of time and it's been a revolution. I think the flip side of it, of course, has been that it has undermined authority in all of our global institutions, starting with the government, but also religious institutions, educational institutions, scientific organizations. Everything is up for debate. There are no facts, there are opinions. And this lack of authority, I think, is a huge assault on our society and all societies. And we're in the midst. I have never experienced the angst that I'm hearing from veteran journalists. They don't know what to make of the current societal upheavals. And it's not even aimed at one particular politician. It's more about the social upheaval and new alliances being formed that have right. created a huge amount of angst in the storytelling world. So yes, there is a role for media. The question here though, and the thing that I always fought for in these media organizations is trust and keeping a wide swath of the population trusting us. So we did some things at National Geographic, for instance, and allying ourselves at times with different organizations from, you know, we might work with the Nature Conservancy one day and be on Fox News the next day. We could visit the Obama White House and talk to the Trump Interior Secretary. And there are people who would criticize us for that, but in my view, it helped us maintain credibility, not preach just to the converted, but be able to create a narrative for people who are on the fence. So I think the point of this is that the rules are being remade. The media needs to try its hardest to maintain trust. Being, it's moved into more camps that are preaching to the converted because that's how in a capitalist society, they are able to monetize their work. That's not going to get us out of these problems. It's going to make them worse. 
And I think there needs to be some of us who are trying their best to work the middle, so to speak, to drive an agenda with companies that BCG and others work with to make those changes. I'd like to circle back to this this notion of purpose. Some would argue that when everything's somewhat chaotic, that it's actually this clarity and this being able to go back and anchor on purpose and use that to navigate through that can be helpful. Do you agree with that? Yes, totally. Whenever we would get into trouble, I would always say, let's go back to the what we're the why. Why are we doing this? Not what are we doing? Like, what are we trying to get done here? What is our mission? And at Sesame Street, it was to use the power of media to, you know, improve children's lives. And so, you know, we had to find ways to find that blue ocean at Sesame Street because a lot of competition had come in, Dave, from commercial networks like Disney and Nickelodeon, and they completely changed the landscape. They had this commercial scale we didn't have, and our ratings were dropping, and we had to figure out a way to reinvent ourselves almost, disrupt ourselves, if you will. And, you know, I came up with this concept one night in my head. It was, uh, let's just create Save the Children with Media. And the idea was really not inconsistent with some of the work you've done internationally is to use the power of these Muppets and the power of, you know, these, these children's engaging narratives to reach kids about everything from bed nets to fight malaria and how to, how to put them on to dealing with destigmatization of HIV and AIDS in South Africa to conflict resolution in the Middle East, the Balkans and Northern Ireland I mean, we really became a true NGO or working with military families domestically at the height of Iraq and Afghanistan deployment. There were really important communities of need that we could address. And by doing that, we were able to reinvent an excitement around the brand, the staff, bring in resources philanthropically. We were alive again as an organization. And, you know, to this day, Thanks to my successors there, they've done an amazing job, including getting two grants, one, uh, the $100 million grant from the MacArthur Foundation a couple of years ago to help Syrian refugee kids with the International Rescue Committee, and another $100 million from the Lego Foundation for Rohingya refugee kids. And so it was from that reinvention 20 years ago that repurposed in a modern context Sesame Street that allows it to prosper today, along with, you know, really good leadership the last decade. So I think the purpose here and coming back to why we're doing this, because it would have been so easy to just try to compete against Nickelodeon and Disney. And we were not going to win that. We would never win. We would never win that. And I felt the same way around National Geographic which is why we did this, some of your listeners may know, this rather radical reorganization with 21st Century Fox that now is an alliance with the Walt Disney Company because I just didn't feel like we could scale up the voice and the megaphone of National Geographic without one of those big media companies. 
And we also couldn't focus on the real philanthropic mission-driven work that still needed to be done. And I'm happy to say now that the society, the National Geographic Society, has $1.5 billion in its endowment thanks to that deal that we did that can invest as a talent agency for the planet to work on finding the future Jane Goodalls and Sylvia Earls and other people who are going to be our hope spots for the future in fighting climate change and everything else we got to work on. Gary, those are brilliant examples of that purpose focus being a navigator to something pretty exciting. I would also give credit in both of those things to sort of seeing again, the, the needs of different stakeholders and recognizing that you had the capacities or could obtain the capacities to reach those stakeholders by creating something new and different and actually create impact in some ways, the pursuit of sustainability in the broadest sense, whether it's environmental or social or, or, or other, is probably one of the key engines for innovation at this moment in time. It is literally that combination of seeing the problem and seeing the stakeholder and seeing what you have that can fire up innovation. I think the examples you've given us are very much a, a testimony to that. So bravo. And Gary, I mean, obviously, because of the businesses you run, you're incredibly sensitive to sort of narrative and the power of narrative, the power of storytelling, keeping abreast and mindful of, of sort of how stakeholders might hear it. In many ways, businesses are in this position of now needing to do that as well. As businesses race to sustainability, communicating their positive uh, environmental and social impacts in ways that in expand trust will be important to get recognition, to improve the brand, to build advantage over time. I mean, from your perspective, how do most companies do in actually telling their story? What observations might you share on how companies could do a better job of building a narrative about their impact that engenders trust, that expands the brand, that gives them the basis to, to do more things uh, in society today. Yeah, I think it's a mixed bag. I think some companies are really doing quite a good job. Others are struggling. We've got to get some sort of definitional framework, day for this ESG definition. I know that's a huge priority, and there are people now, smart people, who are trying to work on that. I think that having a, a way in, in which companies can not just try to spin, but actually commit to real purpose and real action, and then find allies who may be bedfellows they're not used to being in bed with, who can help bring them along. So there are organizations like the Environmental Defense Fund, the Nature Conservancy and the World Wildlife Fund, and certainly a National Geographic, where we worked with chemical companies. We worked with Shell several years ago about the future of energy, and we hosted it. They supported it. It was not, here's the Shell agenda for you know, everything that's great about our company, but they participated and they were very constructive and supportive. And we were able to draw in a lot of people to have hard questions and hard conversations about the transition from fossil fuels, which they get. The question is how quickly can we go through these transitions? But I think a lot of companies 
the one advice I would give them is they probably need to find some allies who are not their traditional allies. And that's not easy to do because what your typical PR person in Washington will tell you, well, let's just get through this. There's going to be a terrible hearing. We'll get through the hearing. And then two weeks later, everyone will forget about it and we'll all move on. And that that's the way of Washington. And I think that needs to end. I think it's time now that that's not going to be good enough anymore. And I think the consumer base, the staff, and the boards of these companies are going to demand stickiness and some change based on real activities that are that people are held accountable for. This notion of sort of stickiness uh, that you're saying in allies, you know, the journey to sustainability for many of these companies is actually a long one. It sort of flies in the face of the short-term rewards and the sound bites. I think your point about collective action and allies is really interesting. In our research on sustainable business model innovation, we find that many of the leaders with sustainable business model innovation have partnerships that they use to help them, not in the sense of giving them air cover, in the sense of actually helping them deal with the issue, right? Because they can come alongside. It's like you. So this partnering and this alliances in order to do this seems to be part of the recipe that we need for the future. And having uh, having the narrative of why collective action is perhaps important in these transitions. We all need to kind of take stock of a new world order where for-profit companies and not-for-profit organizations can find alliances to promote the causes that they're both trying to achieve. The not-for-profits can bring some authenticity to those efforts, but the for-profit enterprises can bring scale that the not-for-profits oftentimes are incapable of achieving. Yeah, your scale point is a a terrific one. I think the awareness of scale is hidden from the bulk of the population. Many of you know, people don't realize the enormity of businesses and supply chains. And if those engines can be turned towards solutioning, I almost do have to figure out how to establish this new level of trust. Gary, is there something that we haven't talked about that you would like to that you would like to say a message you would like to get out to leaders or board members that we haven't covered in this conversation? Well, I think one constituency that we overlook are kids. And I'm not saying our own kids necessarily. Obviously, that's super everyone's pretty much focused on them, maybe all the time. But the power of children and the needs of children get so overlooked in many, many societies. And when you think about social change and look at some of the most successful pivots that America's made, seatbelts, tobacco, recycling, these have been driven by kids. I think that kids are born with a, with a pretty good nose for right and wrong. And I, I think they're inheriting this world that is troubled. So 
you know, the power of kids, it's important to empower them, to give them the resources and tools to help create a future and not be pessimistic about it because they have the ability to make a big difference. And having worked at Sesame Street and working my way up, Joan Gans Cooney, who started Sesame Street, Dave, always had this statement, which is so true, that television was the most powerful teacher ever invented. It wasn't a question of whether it taught people, it was what did it teach? So did it teach us about sugar, sweetened cereal, or should we teach letters and numbers and social and emotional learning? And that was, that's what Sesame Street was based on. So you can take this concept of television as a teacher and broaden it to all media. So I think it's really important that we build critical, critical thinking skills for kids. We've lost our way a little bit on this. And I think it's time that we spend some time and energy on that. And I hope that the listeners think about that and the potential for children to be a powerful force as they become adolescents and adults to really providing the solutions that we struggle for as adults in the workforce today. Absolutely. Well, Gary, I want to thank you on behalf of our listeners for this engaging discussion around these challenges of storytelling, narrative, media, and shaping a societal context, which we want to make sure brings to our children a better world than the trajectory we're on today. So thank you for all that you have done in leading those three iconic organizations over the years and the ability to help shape our societal context to awareness and inclusion and hopefully a more conscious attention to the environment. So thank you very much. Thanks so much, Dave, for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. This podcast was part of our series on building competitive advantage in a sustainable world. For more information about this and other research topics, follow the BCG Henderson Institute's research online at bcghendersoninstitute.com and follow our podcast series on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.